Welcome back to Graceway DC, a weekly podcast bringing you sermons from the pulpit of Graceway Baptist Church of Washington, DC. For this week's sermon, Pastor Brad continues in his mini-series on deliverance. It's now time to study the table of showbread. This special, purposeful table suggests many things. Like the previous elements of the tabernacle, the table of showbread has specific and symbolic purpose. Now, let's join Pastor Brad as he opens the Word. Take your Bibles, if you would. Let's go to the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus and chapter number 25. We are studying uh, this book, the second book of the Bible this year under the title Delivered, Delivered and that's really the first theme. There's three themes in the, in the book. God delivers his people out of Egypt. Then God gives them the Ten Commandments or delivers to them the Ten Commandments. And now we're in the third little installment or mini-series, and that is the tabernacle. The tabernacle is so much more than just a tent. It is a tent, but it is 50 chapters long of detailed information about this mysterious structure. Let me give you a quick review. Uh, We said, first off, this tent is a picture of deity. That is, it describes God uh, and and the Trinity. It has three rooms. It's emblematic of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's also a description of humanity, you and I. See, we're a trichotomy. We have the body, from which we have physical life. We have the soul, from which we have psychological life. And we have the spirit, by which we have spiritual life, where we can interact with God. And and you might have a very good physical life. That is, you have a big house, and you have a fluffy bed, and you have a nice car, and you have a good meal, and, and so you got a good physical life. But you would feel empty, and so you would get a good education, intellectual, and you'd have warm, fuzzy feelings, and you'd play nice music, <laughs> and so you'd have good, good feelings and emotions, um, and you would have goals and desires in your life, and that's the three elements of the soul, the will, the mind, and the heart, or the feelings but you would still have something missing. What do I need to do? Well, that's the innermost chamber of you. You are a tent of three rooms. And the innermost chamber, the very core of who you are, is spiritual. That's the eternal element of each one of us. So physical things don't satisfy. Intellectual, emotional, even goal-setting, willful things don't satisfy. We need interaction with our Creator, and that is, that is God. So we learned that. Then we saw that the, the first element that God describes how to build is called the Ark of the Covenant, and covenant meaning promise. God made a promise to his people, and that was sim- symbolized by three uh, elements within that Ark. The first was, I will provide for you, and that was that golden pot of, of manna, and I will, I will feed you in the desert. And he did for 40 years. The second was that rod that budded, and it was an almond rod, and it was to show the leadership that God had installed 
through Aaron and that, that priesthood. And the third element was the Ten Commandments. I set the rules, God says. This is what I want you to do. And God wrote it in stone with his own finger, and he didn't stutter. And so we don't need to guess what God said. It's all written down. The Bible doesn't need to be rewritten. It needs to be reread. Now, last week was a very special, miraculous, and I, I do mean miraculous, day that we talked about the mercy seat. And the mercy seat is simply the lid that went on that Ark of the Covenant. It was solid gold, and it had two cherubs or cherubims over the top. And don't think of cuddly, cute little babies or cupid things. No, these are great, uh, powerful, angelic beings. Anyways, and there was two offerings that were associated. One was the bull offering, um, representing the sin that Aaron committed when he erected the, uh, the golden calf for all the, the new people, Israelites, to worship. And so Aaron, from then on, every year on the high day of atonement called Yom Kippur, would have to kill the bull, and then the blood from that bull would have to be sprinkled with his hand on the mercy seat, showing that the presence of God between the Ark of the Covenant, the promise of God to his people, and the presence of God, there would be blood in between them. That is the token of mercy. And mercy seat means appeasement, to appease God. It also means propitiation, appeasement, that appeasement has been met. So every year on the high day of atonement, uh, the two offerings, one with the bull and the other one with the goats, would be presented. But it was all shadowing or pointing to the ultimate Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, that would take away sin one time forever. It didn't have to be done continuously year after year. So we talked about the ark, we talked about the mercy seat, and now today we talk about the table of showbread. Now last week I said, and I had planned out, and I have scripted, that I was going to talk about the veil. The only problem is that in the Bible, the veil doesn't come after the mercy seat. The table of showbread comes after the mercy seat. So Brother Tykert, I began to pray, and I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Um, show me your will. And I didn't hear God's voice. But in another way, Luke, I just kind of went, wait a minute, he already did. It's already written down. I just need to... Okay, so I tell everybody to read, the, everyone else to read the Bible, submit to the Bible, follow it. We're going to do that Amen. today too. Amen. So with that, we're going to start here with the table of show bread. And that's exactly what it means, show the bread. It means a place of communion, a place of interaction. Basically, God is saying, set the table so that you and I can meet together. And when we set the table for God, God sets the table for us. So with that, Exodus 25 and verse number 23. Thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood or acacia wood. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold and make thereto a crown of gold round about it. 
Thou shalt make unto it a border of an handbreadth round about, and shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. And thou shalt make for it four rings of gold, and put the four rings in the four corners that are in the four feet thereof. Over against the border shall the rings be for the places of the staves to bear the table. And thou shalt make the staves of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, that the table may be borne by them. And thou shalt make the dishes thereof and the spoons thereof and the covers thereof and bowls thereof to cover withal. Of pure gold shalt thou make them. And thou shalt set them upon the table of showbread before me always. Father, we come before you and ask for your blessing as we look at this table in the wilderness, this place of communion, this place of provision. Open our minds, open our hearts, and help us to see you. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen. Amen, amen. The thing that I'm discovering here is God emphasizes the pattern. He says, follow the pattern. Do it the way I said to do it. This is universal. God is the author, and so therefore he has the authority. Author is in the word authority. If you're the author of something, you have significant authority. And God is directing you and I to follow his pattern in and through life. We can't just do what we want to do. We can't just follow what we feel. We can't just comply with what somebody else says. We must do it God's way. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got to do it God's way. you got to do it God's way. That's right. So today, we are going to be talking about the table in three points, just to kind of keep our thoughts untangled. We're going to talk about the specifications of that table, the setting of that table, and then the satisfaction of that table. Now, notice first off that it actually is a wooden table. It's made of acacia wood, which is a desert wood, common wood. Um, It's kind of a, a scrubby, strong wood. It's not like a magnificent tree. It's very hardy, extremely resistant to drought and bugs and rot. It is a picture of the Messiah. Think of Isaiah 53. And he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. Psalm 23 speaks of a righteous man being like a tree that is planted by rivers of water. The Messiah is said to be our righteous branch. But notice also in verse number 24, and we'll just walk through Exodus 25, 23, 24, 25. So notice also in 24, it is to be overlaid with pure gold, solid and pure gold. So the wood speaks of his humanity, but the gold speaks of his deity. That is, the Messiah will be man. But the Messiah, this promised Messiah, will be God. And that's a great mystery. As a matter of fact, Apostle Paul, who was a great Jewish rabbi, wrote to Timothy in chapter 3 and verse number 16 of that passage. It says, "Great is without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Mystery meaning it's hard to understand. It's deep. 
It's rich. That's Christ, the Messiah. God was manifest in the flesh. God was declared. Think of a legal document, a manifest. God was manifest. He was revealed. He was displayed in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Speaking of God, speaking of Christ. They symbolize the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's Son, the only begotten of the Father. He is unique in all of creation, the God-man. Now, notice the last part of chapter 24, and it says that there's to be a crown of gold roundabout. So not only his humanity, not only his deity, but also his royalty, that is, his sovereignty. In Hebrews 2, it says, we see Jesus crowned with glory and with honor. And I think that's our job every day, to crown Christ with glory and honor. You know, every day you get an opportunity to identify the most important things. You, we, we, we say, prioritize what's important. And we move it to the front of our calendar or our to-do list or I can't do that. So we say, no, I will do this. And we say, yes. And we say yes to the Lord. Say yes to the things of God. Crown him. Give him a priority in your life. And whether you're rewarded in this life or the next, it doesn't matter. God is a debtor to no man. And every single opportunity you get to crown Christ sovereign or royal in your life, do it. Do it and don't pass that opportunity by. But notice also in verses 26 through 28, it speaks of these four rings that are in the four corners, thereby the four legs of the table. And that is speaking about its, its ability to be transported or available. Wherever they went, this table is to go. And they're in a desert. <laughs> they're in a wilderness. And the question comes, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? And the answer is yes. And maybe you have that question. Can God take care of me? Will God provide and the answer is yes. The four rings speak of his omnipresence, his nearness, that he is close to you. He is a very present help in trouble. He was the table that was carried wherever they went. So I'm simply saying the table is a picture of the Messiah. This table here that they're building and this, all of it is pointing to Christ. Now, in verse number 29, and verse 30 is the last of our little section here, verse 29, it mentions the, uh, the dishes and these dishes and the spoons and the covers and the bowls and, and there would be four priests that would come in and change the, the bread to the table. Two would come in and remove the loaves and two others would come in and place new loaves so that the the literal reading would be there, that the bread would always be there before God. And notice it's not that the bread is before the people, but the people put the bread there before God, setting a table for God. The dishes speak of that practical 
element of making this bread and making everything obtainable, applicable, that the priests were to carry the bread in and out. And it, it, it's a picture of the Holy Spirit teaching you and I how to use the Word of God. Well, there it is. Now, how do I make that applicable in my life? The applicability of the Word of God. Verse 30, the last verse of our little section, notice it says that the table there is before me always, always. This is the eternality. It is to always be there. It's not here today and gone tomorrow. Now, we've already looked at the book of Exodus that Jesus is a picture of manna. And manna fell from heaven and landed on the ground. And that's a picture of Christ uh, being born of a virgin coming from heaven and born there in a manger. No exaltation at all. Um, it, was, uh, it was round and white and spoke of purity and perfection. It lay on the ground speaking of humility and it sustained life, which speaks of the Savior. And all of that is good, but this is not manna. This is not manna. This is the table of showbread. It is speaking specifically of the exaltation of the Messiah. In other words, the Messiah comes twice. Once, as we know, Christ came, born of a virgin, and died for you and for me. But secondly, it speaks of the second time when he comes again, in exaltation, he comes to rule and to reign for a thousand years. He will be exalted much like the table, lifted up the bread, and it was on a golden structure. Everybody see that? So these, this is the details or the specifications of the table. Now, I want to go on to our second point, which is the setting of the table. The setting of the table. Probably, you're like me, my mother told me or my brothers, set the table. Tables do no good unless they're set. You got to set the table. Let's look at this setting of the table. And I want you to just turn over to Leviticus 24. Leviticus chapter 24 gives the exact recipe of this baking of the bread. Just by way of introducing the bread, I want you to think about Jesus and what he said. In the book of John and the seven I am's of, of Christ that he presented, remember Jesus in John chapter 6 said, I am the bread of life. He said, uh, he that cometh unto me shall never hunger, and he that believeth in me shall never thirst. In verse 48, I am that bread of life. And this is an illusion, a look back to manna, and to the table of showbread. In verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. And the, the Jewish mind would certainly grasp all of these implications directly. The Messiah is one that sustains, and that's our title today. The Messiah is the one that gives us sustenance. We feed on Christ. He is our provision that is, he is our nutrition. Leviticus 24 and verse number 5 here, and we'll do our uh, music interlude as well. Uh, Leviticus 24 verses 5 through 9 says, And thou shalt take fine flour 
and bake twelve cakes thereof, two tenth deals shall be in one cake. And thou shalt set them in two rows, six in a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each loaf, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And verse 9, And it shall be Aaron's and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place. For it is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord, made by fire by a perpetual statute. I want to point out four things about this passage that we read and this bread. And I want you to think about Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. In one sense, it's the manna. God made the bread and it was just, it came down like dew in the morning. But in, in another sense, it's like this table of showbread. It is, it is the communion table. It is the table that you sit at to eat and to interact. Now, the reason the restaurant industry makes so much money and we all want to go out to eat is not necessarily for the food. You want good food, but it seems like the more you pay and the better the food, the less you get. But what you want is you kind of want to dress up a little bit and you kind of want to be escorted to your table and you sit down and you talk and they bring this out and they bring that out and it's a whole wonderful experience. An experience of what? Of connection. And food is a connecting element. You show yourself. It's the table of showbread. It's communion. It's interacting. It's getting together. It would be unusual to go spend a lot of money on, on a meal and just eat it yourself. Unless you had a selfie stick and you were taking pictures and entertaining everybody. You, you want to do that with people. And that's what this is about. God's inviting us to a table and we're inviting him to a table. Now, look at verse number five. We're in Leviticus 24, verse number five. Everybody rolling with me? Everybody following this? Notice first the preparation that this flour, that is the wheat berries or the, the grains of wheat, are to be crushed, sifted, and baked. And this is speaking about Christ the Messiah. So in point one, the table is a picture of the Messiah. Now in point number two, the setting of the table, the bread is a picture of the Messiah. The Bible is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was crushed. In John 15, Jesus spoke about uh, except a grain of wheat fall into the earth and uh, be crushed and fall to the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. In John chapter 8, it speaks in verse 46, it says, Jesus said, which of you convinceth me of sin? And, and what he's saying is, is there any sin in me? Go ahead and sift my life and find out can you find anything there? Take a hold of it if you can. Where's my accusers? Now, I dare say none of us would want that, to stand up and say, see if you can find anything I've ever done. Go ahead and search my social media. Go ahead and roll back and look at my life and the videotape of my life. Is there anything you can find? No, there wasn't. Well, I would never be able to say that. 
nor any man. We're all guilty. We're all sinners. But Christ was sifted and found to be pure. Then he was baked. This bread is to be baked. The fire of God's wrath became the oven of the Messiah. Christ hung there on the cross. He wept and cried, and the Bible says sweat as it were great drops of blood there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible says he became sin for us. And there on the cross he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As the God of heaven, which was the God, the Messiah, Christ, and this is a great mystery, turn his back on his own son, God in his purity and holiness could not even behold sin, my sin, your sin, that was embodied in the Messiah Christ, the preparation of the bread. And the portion of that bread in verse number six, it says, you shall set them in two rows. Now, some people see the two rows as kind of vertical rows, six stacked up together, and and that could be. Others see it side by side, all displayed, and and that could be. There's some elements of that that certainly uh, would bring out uh, some truth either way it goes. I think it's sort of interesting. Six, just think of the number six and the number six, 66. There are 66 books in the Bible, the bread of life. I don't know. Maybe it's just a coincidence. Don't get too excited about the Word of God, okay? Just don't do it. The portion, 12, but really the, the real number there, 12, it's the 12 tribes of Israel that God would provide. And each one was to offer a token to the Lord. See, they received bread from the Lord every day, but were required to offer a token piece of bread to God every week. Verse number seven brings out, and thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row. And frankincense, I just happen to have some here. And frankincense is actually a uh, a sap from a tree in the desert. And it has medicinal qualities. Um, You can eat it. You can save it. You can put it on your desk. You can do whatever you want. Uh, But those are called uh, frankincense tears. And what they do is they, um, they score the bark of the little scrubby tree and the sap kind of bleeds out. And if they leave it there long enough, it dries up into these tears that you have right there. Um, if you get it in like essential oil form, it is infused and you can get a bit more of the fragrance there. But it's kind of earthy, um, maybe deserty type smell. And, and I... I don't know. I like it. I like it. Brother Tykert, he, he didn't like his that much. But <laughs> what did you think? Did it smell good? Fairly unremarkable. Unremarkable. Okay. It's just kind of a resin. It's kind of a something like that. Anyways, this uh, frankincense was to be infused and put on the top of these loaves of bread. And it, frankincense uh, is, was a very valuable, valuable thing. Nowadays, they have huge plantations of it and it's harvested by the tons 
But it's certainly in that day, it would be rare and precious and valuable. And it speaks of the worth of Christ and his value. Now, who are the partakers? The last little thought here in the setting of the table, verses 8 and 9, it says that the Sabbath was uh, to be set in order before the Lord continuously. Who's the partakers? And it's the priests, and they're to be um, eating this. Look at verse number 9. And this most holy bread is to be continually fed upon by the priests. You know that the Bible calls the Christian, those that recognize Jesus as the Messiah, you are called a king and a priest. And my friends, we are, as followers of Christ, to feed on the bread of life continuously. It's not just we come to church and and have somebody uh, serve it up, although that's my job. I slice it up and serve it up. But you are to be feeding on the Word of God every single day. You need to get in there. You need to be reading. You need to be setting some reading goal every day as you feed on the Word of God. Maybe it's a chapter. Maybe it's two chapters. Uh, Maybe you want to follow our little Bible reading pattern. All of these things are good. Get in and feed on God's Word daily. So turn to your neighbor and say, this week, you got to get in God's Word. This week, get in God's Word. Now, number three, I want to talk to you about our last point here, the satisfaction at the table. And when you think of a table, um, the first thing I think of, I would assume you would think of, is the food, the food at the table. And when you think of a restaurant, uh, I think of the food. What kind of food are we going to go get? And it sustains, it nourishes. And that is what the Lord Jesus Christ does. That's what the Messiah does. He is a precise balance of the essential both macro and micro nutrients to grow and sustain life. Jesus has what you need. He is the nourishment that you need. You know, Jesus in John chapter 6 said something that really messed everybody up. And John 6 in verse 53, he spoke of eating the flesh of the Son of Man and drinking his blood. And people were like, what in the world? As a matter of fact, those first Jews that had become Christians, remember the early church, was all Jewish. It was all Jewish. They were accused of being cannibals, which was, which was not the truth. So what did Jesus mean, feed on his flesh? Well, in verse number 63, just a little bit later, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. He's saying, I'm not talking about physical elements. What are you talking about? The words that I speak unto you, they are what? spirit, and let's say it together, and they are life. It's the Word of God that is the life-giving properties. When you're feeling tired this week, when you're feeling exhausted, when, when you're confused, when you feel empty, get to the Word of God. Now, I was told that as a kid. I've been telling people this for 30 years as a preacher, and it still surprises me how the Word of God nourishes and sustains life you can think of the truths of god you can fellowship over the truths of god and it brings about strength think of matthew chapter 4 and verse number 4 jesus had been fasting in the desert for 40 days 
And he was tempted to turn the stones into bread. But Jesus said to the tempter, Man shall not live by bread alone. Say it with me. But by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. It's the words of God. It's the truth of God that sustains life. That's the written word. That's the living word. That's the Messiah. There's an ancient proverb that says, A thing grows by what it feeds on. But you knew that. We say, you are what you eat. We know this. So that's why you've got to be feeding on the truth. You feed on all this other stuff, you're going to go crazy. You're going to get nervous. You're going to get scared. Your life will be filled with fear. You've got to get into the Word of God. So the food sustains and nourishes. But around a table, you think of fellowship. And you meet with somebody. You take them on a date. You, you go out and... The fellowship speaks of that entertainment, speaks of that flourishing interactivity between others. And that's what the table of showbread is. It is symbolic of people gathering around a table. In Acts chapter 2 and verse number 42, the Bible says something very unique. These early Christians, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and what? And fellowship. It's not just food, it's fellowship. And in breaking of bread, see, they're connected and in prayers. Matter of fact, today, even somebody that's not a Christian, they will talk about eating or fellowship as breaking bread. We break bread together. What does that mean? It doesn't even mean you eat bread, it means we're going to sit down, we're going to fellowship, we're going to look at each other and we're going to talk, and we're going to eat together. And that's what God is inviting his people to do with him, and that's what God's inviting you to do. Deborah and I were brand new missionaries in New Guinea, and we were in a remote, remote area, about seven hours' drive uh, from a town, and we were, we were way out there, and my, my parents were, uh, I guess they were about an hour away, closer to town. We ran out past them, and my, my parents were a little concerned because Deborah and I just went out and we just sort of camped out and they didn't see us for months at a time. But we were experimenting with this very thing. Is God enough for us? Is God enough? Or do I need my own culture? Do I need other friends and fellowship? You know, if you start to study great works books written, songs written, great revivals that were started, you will find somebody that has been shut up to God. You will find somebody that maybe was incarcerated. Maybe somebody was isolated for this reason or that reason. And they just began to feed on the word of God that they had memorized or they had a copy themselves. That's where songs are written. That's where poems are, are made. That's where incredible truths are refined and distilled into the life of humanity. In other words, when you get close to God, you will find that he is enough. You can flourish, not only nourish, be nourished, but you can flourish in the fellowship of Christ. One last thing and we'll be done. This satisfaction at the table also maintains life it sustains it entertains and it maintains life it not only nourishes 
and it allows you to flourish in fellowship. But there's a fullness to the table of the Lord, and it refurbishes your life every day. It's always available, but that table must be maintained. That table's got to be cleaned up. The new bread has to be brought out. Notice in Leviticus 24 in verse number 8, it says this, Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And the two priests would come in and they would start to remove the old bread. And two more priests would come in and place the new bread on the table. So to really take it very, very literally, the bread was always touching the table. It was never to run out. It truly is that daily bread. And the word of God is mine and should be your daily bread. Tomorrow when you wake up and you're thinking about coffee (laughs) and you're thinking about a glass of water and you're trying to think about the duties of the day, put the word of God first. Crown the word of God, the things of God first in your life. You know, the bread of the world runs out. As a matter of fact, the bread of the world smells good, looks good, but oftentimes is quite hollow. I remember as a little kid, my parents got this magnificent display of fruit, this fruit bowl. It had grapes, green grapes, and kind of purplish grapes, big old apple. And I mean, I I was not allowed to touch it. But one day I did. And I got up there and I grabbed that grape and that grape looked so perfect and ripe. But as I tugged on it, it did not want to give. So I chewed on it, gnawed on it, and I found it was not fruit, it was wax. (laughs) I think that's what a lot of people find about the food of the world. Tori, you and Deborah sang that song about the prodigal son feeding on the husks around him. And maybe you've experienced the shallowness and the emptiness and realized that not all that glitters is gold. Just because it looks good doesn't mean it is good. And we know the story of the prodigal son, which is a young Jewish boy was raised up in a wealthy Jewish home and It was good, and and the, the father had two sons, the older and the younger, and the younger said, give me my inheritance. Yeah, even before you die, give it to me. The father did, and he took his substance, and the Bible says he went to the far country and wasted his substance on riotous living. And he came to a desert time in his life, and there was actually a drought in the land, and he was brought to nothingness to where he got a job feeding swine, the Bible says. And he was so hungry and so empty and so needy that the Bible says he would have fain filled his belly with the hog's food. In other words, he was just at the end. But it was there that he awoke and said, I will arise and go back to my father. And the true nature that he was, he was his father's son. And sometimes we wrestle theologically, was that guy a Christian or was he not? And, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I do know this. When he came back, he said, Father, I have sinned against thee and against heaven. He said, Father. But I want you to think not only of the prodigal son, but 
Just imagine this with me, if you would, a prodigal pig. And think of this son. He's feeding the pigs, and maybe he just made a friend of the pigs there. And the pig said, wait a minute. You're going back to your father's. I'm kind of tired of this place. I want to go with you. And the boy said, come on, pig, let's go. It's not in the Bible, okay. (laughs) And the prodigal pig goes back to the father's house. And the pig saw the the father hug and kiss the son and put a ring on his finger and a robe on his back. And the pig also came into the great feast. This is definitely made up because no Jewish home would have the pig at the feast. Anyways, comes in and he gets cleaned up and he gets scrubbed up and and he gets a fine robe put on him and and he gets his, his room there in the house and he gets a fluffy pillow and, a, and clean sheets. But the true nature of that pig is going to come out. He's going to be like, this food, it has no zing in it. The food back home, man, it had, it had some kick. I mean, you could smell it a long way off. And he, maybe one or two days, three days in, he says, I want to go back. And that's that old proverb. The sow is returned to her mire. The whole story is this. The true nature of who you are and what you really want comes out. The table of showbread is simply this. God is available for you and for I to feed on. He is the living word. He is the written word. He is the very son of God. He's everything he claims to be and more. The setting of the table and the satisfaction of the table. I want to tell you, I'm a satisfied customer. I believe it. I've studied it. I have fed on the Word of God. I have given myself to it. And I find the Word of God to be everything I want, everything I need. And He satisfies. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure if you're the prodigal son or the prodigal pig. Go back to the Father. Return to the place where you belong. That prodigal son sitting in this mess said, What am I doing? My Father's servants have bread enough to spare. And I'm starving to death in the hog pen. Hungry souls come to Christ. He saves and he satisfies. And the picture, the beautiful picture of the communion table is the table of showbread that we set for Christ and he sets for us. Would you stand with me? I want you to think of that passage in Revelation 3. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus, the Messiah, says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man come to me, hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup or eat or dine with him. You know what that's saying? Jesus is on the outside of our heart, of our life, of our church, and he's knocking And he wants to come in. We've got to hear the knock. 
We've got to open the door and we've got to invite him in. So Jesus comes as a guest. He doesn't barge in. He's not going to barge into your heart and into your life. It's not going to break down your door. You've got to open the door. But he comes in as a guest and he becomes the host. And you feel that he is enough. Everything more than you could imagine. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me just for a moment? Christian, don't feed on the husk when Christ is available. Come to him and say, Oh God, I want you. I want your righteousness. Lord, you are more than enough. Don't insult the beautiful table of God by feeding in some horrible place or bringing some counterfeit food to the table. Trust Christ. And maybe today you're not a Christian. Religious, yes, but trusting in Christ, repenting of your sin, not quite. Would you pray with me something like this? God, I hear your word and I'm responding to the call and I'm coming to the door of my heart and I'm opening it up and I'm saying, please come into my life. Come into my life as a guest. Come into my life and become the host, the king, the sovereign, the savior. Lord, I want you. Would you forgive my sin? Would you save my soul? Would you pray that, God? Would you save my soul? Save me from my sin. Lord, I want, I want forgiveness of my sin. I want remission of my sin. Lord, I thank you for saving me. I thank you for sustaining me and satisfying my every need. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in hearts and lives now as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen. A wooden table made out of tough, rough desert wood, dressed and crowned in pure gold. A beautiful picture of our Lord Jesus in his humanity, godhood, and kingship. Pastor Brad outlined more of what the Table of Showbread stands for and what its purposes in the tabernacle were. It seems as we study these elements of the tabernacle that there are shared characteristics of intricacy and specificity. But for what purposes? Might it be that the same God that planned before time began to make a way for his creation to be reconciled to himself also chose to make himself known through the tabernacle. What a loving God to draw us so close to himself. We'll see you next time on Graceway DC.